to the man of God in Jesus' name. Thank you. I believe the screens display the word wisdom, so I'm inviting you to go to the book of wisdom today with me, the book known as Job. Thank you for the invitation to be here. I feel the least of these great men. I was privileged to come a few years ago, and I've enjoyed my opportunities. I spoke to you about the demise of Solomon, preached on the slide, preached on the puzzle about confabulation last year about Obed-Edom. This year will be a little different than those occasions, but I am happy to be here. I love Brother and Sister Mayo. What class they bring to Pentecost. They elevate it to a level. And I haven't got very far away from my redneck beginnings. And when I left their house Tuesday night, I thought I would be very happy to own a lawn chair and sit in their driveway and look out over that city uh, for the next few weeks. What a beautiful, beautiful place they live and what they've done here. They have elevated Pentecost in the Northwest and I wanna say thank you to them for that. Would you give them and Cornerstone a good round of applause? Thank you to all the other ministers that are here, so many friends, to the other speakers uh, from Tuesday night all the way through the end of it. Thank you so much. Looking forward to the remaining services. Brother Bass did such an incredible job last night, bondage of the familiar. And uh, looking forward to hearing Brother Booker today and Brother Prado as well as Brother Godair, Brother Holmes, and Brother Marks. I believe last year we cracked a door open just a little. We talked uh, briefly about the fourth dimension, and then Friday night that door swung open. I hope we continue to walk through that door, and um, it's my desire. I am acutely aware that people, as a rule, prefer empowerment preaching over expository preaching. I know that not explaining or apologizing, I'm simply making a statement. We like it when people tell us how powerful we are. We like it when the preacher tells us you can whip 97 devils with one hand behind your back. Then we go home and try it. But it's like a milkshake, it feels good for the moment, praise the Lord. And that in no way diminishes it. We need it, and it's needful. But expository preaching is on a different approach and level. And I say this respectfully. In my lifetime, I have been in so many camp meetings, either attending or even speaking at times. And at the moment, I thought this is the message of the meeting because it empowered us to do the work of the Lord. But so often, five or ten years later, my mind goes back to that expository preaching that took the word of God and made the word of God understandable to me. So this is who I am today from the book of Job chapter 19, verse number 23. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. 
that they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Please turn to chapter 31 for an additional reading. Job is protecting his integrity here against the outcry of Elihu. Verse 35, oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me. And here's my text. And that mine adversary had written a book. Surely, I would take it on my shoulder. And I would bind it as a crown unto me. I would declare unto him the number of my steps. As a prince would I go near unto him. The Lord will help me today. I want to speak to you on the subject. I wish the devil would write a book. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need your touch here today. Lord, you see this congregation, the multiplicity of needs. You can meet them all with one sermon. The Spirit can speak into the church. You are multidimensional. You are fourth dimension. We are third dimension. We see, hear, and think in three dimensions. But Lord, you can elevate it. You can elevate it today, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. The book of Job is included in the five books of poetry. It's not there by accident. It was placed there by those that correlated the Bible because it is indeed poetic and it is archaic. The book of Job uses ancient forms of expression that only show up in our world among very, very early writings. Secondly, the book of Job makes no reference to any type of organized religion or priesthood or tabernacle. Add to that when the name of God is used in the book of Job, with one exception, it is only used in the singular form throughout the body of work, with the exception of the prologue and epilogue. Again, further additional proof that this book is of early origin. It is believed by most that it is the earliest book of the Bible. Interestingly enough, Virtually every subsequent writer in the Old Testament borrows from this book in some fashion, which again endorses its authenticity. Ezekiel mentions it twice. James mentions it once. When you look at the book carefully and realize where Job was from, the land of us, and realize he is a descendant of Abraham and a relative of his, the writing in Job is similar to the style used by Moses. And I know that as a rule, you're not going to compare these things, but I'm establishing the early principle of this book because it has a bearing on how Job reacted to life's circumstances. He didn't have a pastor to go to. He didn't have a church to attend. As far as we know, there wasn't anything except what God dealt with him about. When you compare his writing, 
It's comparable to that of Moses and the patriarchs. If you take it further in archaeology, he is comparable to Ahimelech in Syria. They have said that he is similar to the writings of Pharaoh in Egypt and also Jethro in the land of Midian. All these markers date the book for us. It's an important truth and a perpetual statement for this man at this point and mankind upon the earth to make the bold proclamation, I know my Redeemer liveth. He was not taught that in Sunday school. He didn't have a parchment to read it off of. It was pure, God-given wisdom. I know that my Redeemer liveth. And I know that if the skin worms destroy this body, I will in my flesh see God. There will be a resurrection. All of that fountain heading out of a man that had nothing but his experience with God. A couple of more moments and then I'll move on. But let me establish some things. The book of Job is an epic poem. I hope somehow today to present it in a way that you will never again pick up your Bible and just casually read through this book. I hope to somehow give you an appreciation of the grandeur and the value of this book and what it means not only to the Bible but in the history of the world. It is an epic poem. It would be in the same genre as the Iliad and the Odyssey by Homer, the great works of Greece. It would be in the same genre as the Aeneid by Virgil, the great poet of Rome. It would be in the same genre as Paradise Lost by John Milton, the great English writer. It is a poem about the battle of life. This is not just something we find in the Bible. If you cared, and I don't recommend it, but if you cared to read the Bhagavad Gita and all of the foundational truths, the so-called, of Hinduism, there's 600 and some odd Upanishads, 330 million gods, and all the subsequent things that it entails, you would find a great similarity. For in the Bhagavad Gita, it is Lord Krishna and Prince Arjuna looking down upon the earth in a great battle. And it's all about three things. It's all about love and light and life. But it's about the fact that life is a battle. That life is going to have some heroes. Life is going to have some adversaries. Early on in life, man had the ability to look beyond the scope of organized religion. Before there were 10 commandments written on a stone tablet, there were men whose hearts were open to God. This book is a unique world book. It places all the teaching around a central character and his name is Job. Job is the hero of the book. The spotlight remains on Job throughout the entire book. It is a classic example of early Hebrew literature that all truth comes from the mouth of mortal man. That means it has to be pre-Moses. The problems that are written in this book, the lessons that are written in this book, the challenges and those things that are in are written here all come from the lips of mortal men. Like all epic poems, it has a hero, it has a struggle, and it has an ultimate conquest of good and right. There is no change of scene throughout the book. There is no movement throughout the book. There is no event throughout the book and no action after the prologue. What is this all about? This is God letting the world know before I ever wrote it down. You acknowledge in your spirit that life is a struggle. That life is not easy. That life will beat me if I let it. And there's got to be something born down inside of you that says I will not let life beat me. Job was going through it. There are three major characters in this epic poem. Two of them unseen. One of them seen. One of them is a fallen angel. There are only four angels named in the Bible of the countless 
that we know are out there, Gabriel, Michael, Lucifer, and one in the book of Revelation known as Apollyon. This one called Satan is one of the three primary characters in this epic poem setting of the book of Job. What we know about him, we know from God's written, articulated word, Job did not have that advantage when he was facing his adversary. Job doesn't see the cosmic contest that is being conducted beyond his sight. All he knows is what's happening in the visual, palpable world that he lives in. On the other side, he could not see that there was an antagonist. There was someone that wanted him to deny God. And that, that fallen angel that we now call Satan is, is a formidable foe. I'm here to tell you I'm not going to minimize him, but I'm not going to maximize him either. My Bible tells me that when he was created, he was the most beautiful angel ever created. He was perfection. Thou wast perfect in all thy ways. I have never seen him, nor do I want to see him. But I know a pastor's wife who gave a testimony that she had actually seen him. They were in church on a Sunday night. Their balcony was not being used. They had built a new church and had not yet filled the lower section. And while she was doing music that night, she looked up and standing in the balcony and her words was the most perfect person she had ever seen. She was captivated, mesmerized. She could not pull her eyes off of him. She said he was perfect. His height, his stature, there was something about him that just wanted to pull you in and get closer and look at him. And as she watched, he faded from view. And the Holy Ghost spoke to her and said, that's him. I want to tell you today that if you see Lucifer in his purest form, he's not red. He doesn't have horns. He doesn't have a pointed tail. In fact, he can transform himself into an angel of light. Don't be looking for some ugly, mean-spirited thing. He is God's perfect creation. And his beauty becomes a pitfall for the church because he wants you to pursue beauty rather than inner holiness. He wants you to look like Hollywood. He wants you to think you're ugly if you obey the standards of your pastor. That's his arena. He wants to convince you that your idea of beauty is skewered, old-fashioned, not relevant, and the world would never buy it. He is a liar. Second category that God placed in him was brightness. Brightness. In his created being, if you read it in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, were stones. These stones, I personally believe, were designed to refract the light of God. We know that God dwells in a light that no man can approach unto. We know that when people tried to get too close to that light, there were problems. Moses said, I want to see your glory. God said, no man can see me and live. You can see my hinder parts. We know that when Moses was in his presence on the mountain and he came down, the light was so impacting that it made his face glow and the people were afraid and had to put a veil over his face. I'm convinced that Satan's original intention was to diffract the light of God so that people could approach unto him. When he fell, God took those same stones and put them in the breastplate of the priesthood and said no longer will that be in the hands of Satan. It will be in the hands of the preacher and he will diffract the light of God. He will make it bearable for you. He And then came the day that Jesus came. God walked down through 42 generations and God said, watch this. I will put the light in one human being. And Jesus proclaimed, I am the light of the world. Why don't we thank him for that light? Thank you, Jesus. That the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ 
has shined in our lives. The third, you may be seated, the third created essence of this antagonist that we are going to do battle with on the stage of life is created in him was music. God loves music. He fills heaven with music. Created in Satan was not only beauty and not only brightness, but music. Tablets and pipes and all forms of music. That's why the devil is so cunning in his use of music. He is not confused by cultures. He is not, he can play any music on any continent in any genre, any place in the world. But most of all, he loves to bring that confused atmosphere into an apostolic church. He wants to call it gospel when it's really not gospel. He wants to try to make it church music when it's really not church music. He wants to try to make it music that'll make you think about you instead of think about him. And he's powerful with it. He's a master at it. All of his created areas are dangerous in a church. Beauty, pride, and misused music. He is the adversary of God and man. The Bible says he is the prince of devils. He is the prince of the powers of the air. And he is the prince of this world. He is a sinner from the beginning. He was cast out of heaven and cast down to hell. His character is, he is presumptuous. He is proud. He is powerful. He is wicked. He is malignant. He is subtle. He is deceitful. He is fierce and cruel. As the prince of this world, he perverts the scripture. He opposes the work of God. He hinders the gospel. He works lying wonders. He appears to be an angel of light. And he is the father of lies. His anthem is everybody's doing it. Why don't you go ahead and do it too? I got good gospel news for you, devil. Everybody's not doing it. Everybody's not dying their hair pink and green. Everybody's not piercing every part of their body. Everybody's not putting tattoos on. Everybody's not throwing away holiness standards. No. Everybody's not doing it. You got one right here that said, as long as I live, I'm going to live by the apostolic code, and my family will also. Oh, let's thank the Lord for just a moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. That's the adversary. Let's talk for just a moment about the advocate. Let's talk about him for just a moment. The psalmist said, oh Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. My Bible says that the advocate, Jesus himself, covers himself with light as with a garment and that he stretches out the heavens like a curtain and he makes the, the clouds his chariot and he walks on the wings of the wind. My Bible says he laid the foundation of the earth and he covered the earth with the deep like a garment. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry ground. He measured the water in the hollow of his hand. Meted out the heaven with a span. Can your mind even comprehend this? He comprehends the dust of the earth in a measure. He weighs the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance. Who has been his counselor or taught him? Who instructed him or taught him judgment? Who taught him knowledge and showed him understanding before him? The nations are as a drop in a bucket. This is the advocate as opposed to the adversary. All nations are before him as nothing. He sits on the circle of the earth 
the inhabitants are like grasshoppers. That's our advocate today. We're in the battle of life, but on one side we've got an adversary. On the other side we've got an advocate. You may be seated. <laughs> he created the host of heaven. And the brilliant scientist said with supreme sarcasm of our day. Say that the space we now know is one billionth of created space. You believe anything you want. And all these preachers will probably correct me afterwards. But I just believe in an expanding universe. I believe God said, let there be. And it started. And it's still going. That's why they can't make a telescope strong enough to find the end of it. Because every time they do, it's gone farther and farther. Don't tell me God's some kind of limit. There is no limit on his ability. But however many stars there are, the Bible says he calls every one of them by their name. That's our advocate today. He heals the broken in spirit. He binds up their wounds. He lifts up the meek and he casts the wicked down to the ground. He covers the heaven with clouds and prepares the rain for the earth. Why don't you give him a little praise? That's your advocate today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Please be seated. Get in your car and go to the mountaintop. Grass will be growing. And my Bible says he makes the grass to grow on the mountain. Only he knows where the foundations of the earth are fastened. Who laid the cornerstone thereof? He was there with the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. He is the one that shuts up the sea with doors and he makes the clouds like a garment. He makes the thick darkness like a swaddling band and he stays the proud waves of the mighty ocean. All of these written in the word of the Lord. He commands the morning and causes the day spring to come forth. He opens the gates of death and he alone knows where light dwells. He knows the place of darkness in his hand this is your advocate in his hand are power and might he travels in the greatness of his own strength he speaks in righteousness and he is mighty to save he commands the wind and the water and they obey him he has power over all flesh he is the giver of eternal life I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about our advocate. And when the adversary's got you down and he's beating you and you feel like you're about to go out, reach up and get a hold of the advocate and say, Jesus, I need you today. All right, thank you. We got a long ways to go. You may be seated. I don't want to infringe on Brother Booker's time. My Bible says he has power to help, power to cast down. His essence is completely different than our adversary's essence. The essence of God is two things in the Bible. He has many attributes. But to say God is, two things. God is love. And God is light. Those are the two things that are the essence of God. That's why when we get in his presence in the book of Revelation, we have no need of the sun. <laughs> He's there. <laughs> he dwells in the light that no man can approach. First Timothy 6 and 16. Moses could not look on him and live. Satan's created purpose was denied him when he fell from heaven. So we have an adversary 
And we have an advocate in an unseen place. And we've got Job, the early man. Before there was words from Moses, before there were tabernacles and laws and nothing but the wisdom of men. That's all he had. He is believed to be, all of this will be controversial. It's the only time I'll say it. All the things you disagree with today, your pastor's right and I'm wrong, all right? But I'm not going to stop and qualify everything I have to say. I don't have time. He is believed to be the son of Abraham's brother, Nahor. This would make him Lot's cousin. What a contrast. Job and Lot. One stays. The other one goes. One saves his wife. One loses his wife. The contrasts are amazing. Two men, Lot and Job, same family, one weak, one strong. The book of Job is called, and I quote, by some of the most profound scholars of early Hebrew literature, and I'm quoting them directly, the most profound and literary work of the entire Old Testament. I feel sometimes like people think I've gone to seed on loving the Bible. And it's okay with me if you think that. But I think at times we hold things in our hand and do not realize the priceless privilege of what we're holding. When you hold the book of Job in your hand, you hold a book that is superior to any ancient epic poem any kind of literature it is the flower of early hebrew literature it is beautiful it is poetic and it is powerful and we read it while we eat our captain crunch and check off our daily bible reading god help us to have a fresh appreciation of this book so the book is, has a little prologue, tells you what's going on, and it's got these cycles of discourse, which is common among ancient wisdom writings. And in the first cycle, there are three people doing the talking. There's Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. And they're coming against Job, telling him why he's in the mess he's in. Well, they run that gamut, and you go through the second round. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Job answers them a second time. And then you go into the third round. And this time you just have Eliphaz and Bildad. And the guy named Zophar drops out. Because he's like a lot of friends. He only goes so far. He is well named. His name in the original man, he who leaves early. You ever had any so far friends? You ever had anybody when you were really on the grill, they flaked out? Been nice knowing you, but I gotta go mow my lawn. I got a tea party down here. You ever had a so far too in your life? Eliphaz, according to my study, later on we'll get to a guy named Elihu, but I'll talk about him in a few minutes. Eliphaz, if you'll study him, is a descendant of Edom. And every time you find Edomites in the Bible, it's all about money. Prosperity, earthly wealth, earthly things. If you don't believe me, go home this afternoon or to your motel room and read what this guy talks about. That's what Eli Faz talks about. And Bildad is Job's cousin. Oh, don't you love relatives? Man, you're the kingpin. You go to a meeting and preach and they hold you up like you're some kind of potentate. Then you go to Thanksgiving dinner and you just homer the looper. No offense to Brother Looper, my friend, but... Bildad is that pesky relative that always has the way to get a dig in to let your spiritual air out. So quite a, quite a group of men, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. 
And they go through these cycles. In the beginning, there's an interesting moment, and this will be extremely controversial. And in fact, I may be the only preacher in the building that believes this, but at least let me present my argument. And if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But the wife of Job, in my opinion, has been mistreated in this passage of Scripture. Let me tell you why I think she's mistreated. They translate the passage in chapter number one concerning her as that she cursed her husband and said, why don't you just curse your God and die? Can I tell you that that word curse there is used 330 times in the Bible and can I tell you that 290 times it is translated blessed? Can I tell you the only time it is translated cursed is in this first chapter of the writing of Job? Can I also tell you that when Job wanted to curse, he knew how to do it. You can go to chapter 3 and verse number 1. It's his opening statement. And it's a completely different word. Let me read a few scriptures that use the word that I'm referring to. Genesis 1 and 22, and God blessed them. Genesis 1 and 28, and God blessed them. Genesis 2 and 3, and God blessed the seventh day. Sound like a curse to you? Genesis 5 and 2, male and female created he them and blessed them. Genesis 9 and 1, and God blessed Noah and his sons. Genesis 9 and 26, blessed be the Lord God. And Genesis, uh, let me see, in chapter number 12, verse number 2, I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great. Sound like a curse to you? Genesis 12 and 3. I will bless them that bless thee and curse the other word and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. I could go on for about 200 more verses if you would like me to to show you that the word generally means blessed. I can show you in the very first chapter that even the devil uses it interchangeably. In verse number 10, when Satan is arguing with God himself, he said, hast thou not made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work, that's the word. Satan used it. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands. And then in verse number 11, put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee, same word, curse thee to thy face. That's the word that Job's wife was looking at him on a bed of affliction covered with sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And she was wondering if he's still even out of it or if he can even praise the Lord. And she said in our translation, dost thou still retain thine integrity? What she was saying is, do you still have your right mind? And he said, yeah, I still got my right mind. And she was saying, why don't you bless him one more time before you die? And that's when he said, you're talking like a foolish woman. I'm not going to die. Everybody has ups and downs. Everybody goes through the battle of life. I'm not about to die, honey. I'm on my way to recover as we speak. <laughs> Thank you. If your pastor teaches it the other way, he's right. I'm serious. So next time you want to gang up on Sister Job, why don't we go back to the back of the book, see what Job thinks of his wife. <laughs> why don't we go to the back of the book <laughs> and see what God has to say? Why don't we look at the 10 more children and 140 more years and four more generations and then tell me what a knock, no good nothing she was. At. I'm here to tell you she was with her husband. The devil wants you to believe that wives will not stay with their husbands in the hardest times of their life. But I came to preach to you that there are some women that say, go ahead, baby, I'm with you. If we have to charge hell with a bucket of water, I got you by the hand. I'm not walking away and I'm not cursing God. I'm with you. 
All right, I, I'm not much longer. Job was from the land of us, same as Abraham. God took one as a missionary and left one as a witness in that land. No Bible, no church, no organized religion. Just men and the wisdom. Job was one of those people that the worse it got around him, the better man he was. The Bible says he was perfect. And Job didn't feel that he was. There's a lesson in that as well. God used Job to show the world that there was one man who would serve God because he loved him. It wasn't because of how many donkeys he had or how many camels he had or whether his life was up or down. He wanted the world to understand that there are people on this earth that love me because of who I am and they are not influenced by the circumstances of their life. They love me, period, exclamation point, end of discussion. So, text verse. We're in the middle of it all. This epic moment in the early history of our planet is happening. These men are trotting out their arguments. Job's defending himself. And he's getting tired of defending himself. And he has to defend himself again and again. And finally, in frustration, he begins to protest. The attack on his integrity. And he says. In chapter number 19. He said oh that my words. Were now written. Brother. Would you hand me that black briefcase there. He said oh that my words. Were now written. Oh that they were. Printed in a book. I think that's blue brother. I think the other one's black. <laughs> This is a towel. This is to protect the pulpit. This is a rock. This is a hammer from no limits. No limits, expanding the kingdom. And this is an iron pen. They didn't have Barnes and Noble. When he wrote, they didn't have caravans coming through with little pieces of papyrus. The only writing implements they had, one further testimony to the earliness of his book. All they had were stones that they chiseled the words out. And Job said, I wish that my words were printed in a book. This is the kind of book you got in Job's world that they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. I wish somebody would write this down because it's too good to miss. That's what Job is saying. He said, I wish somebody would take. Really, what do you got to say, Job? I'll tell you what I want wrote down. I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know that he lives and if skin worms destroy my flesh, I shall see God. Somebody write it down in stone. Somebody leave it for the generation to come. <laughs> write it down. Grave it in an iron pen. Put it in the rock forever. I know my Redeemer liveth. You may be seated. And about this time, a guy comes on the scene. Another character. His name is Elihu. And again, you can differ with me on this, but my studies indicate that Elihu was Job's natural brother. If you read his discourse, he defends God primarily, but he never condemns Job. He has lived and seen the life of his brother, and he knows that his brother has lived a life of integrity. When you get to the end of the book, I could read it, but for time's sake, I'm not going to. You can check it later. 
God gets angry back at the book. And he's angry at Eliphaz. And he's angry at Bildad. And he's angry at Zophar. And he says, I'm so mad at you. The only way I'm going to forgive you is get your sacrifices and take them to Job. And if Job will offer your sacrifices, I will accept them. But Eli, who is not included because God wasn't angry with him. I want to tell somebody here today that you can't live a life of integrity that your own family will stand up and defend you in the face of criticism. When the Eli Fazes and the Bildads and the Zophars of this world rise up and run their mouth, you can live a life so godly that your own family members will stand up and say, that's not true. Let me tell you what kind of a man he is at home. Yes, you can. All right, I'm almost done. Last little point here. Why did I say I wish the devil would write a book? Because Job gets to the end. He has no more answers. He doesn't have any scriptures to read. He doesn't have a Bible. He doesn't have any pastor to back him up. There's no church. It says him against the men that are speaking and he's got an adversary and he's got an advocate and finally the advocate begins to speak <laughs> and when he begins to speak he exonerates Job and he says oh that one would hear me Job begins to say oh that one would hear me my desire is that the Almighty would answer me. And guess what his advocate does? His advocate says, I've been waiting for the invitation. I'm on my way. He says, oh, that my, the Almighty would answer me. And mine adversary had written a book. Sincerely or surely, I would take it upon my shoulder. And I would bind it as a crown unto me. I would declare unto him the number of my steps. As a prince would I go near unto him. What Job was saying, I would remind him that you hit me with the hardest punch you could hit me. You knocked me flat on my back. Blood was running out of my mouth. Both my eyes were black. I was semi-conscious, but I rolled over and I said, devil, if that's as hard as you can hit, I got heaven made in the shade. Write it down. When I lost my job, I went on back to church. When I lost that baby, I didn't blame God. I went on back to the house of the Lord. When my mate walked away, whatever your circumstances are, write it down, devil. I wish you'd write a book that here it is 20 years later and I'm still serving the Lord and I'm going to church and I'm paying my tithes and I'm living holy and you tried to take me out. Write it down, devil. Write it down, devil. I'm still here. Somebody ought to praise him because he hit you with everything he had. And you got up and came on back to church anyway. The earliest man on the Bible realized that I can make it if I just keep my faith in God. Without a Bible, without a church, without a priesthood, with nothing but faith in God. He said, write it down, devil. You didn't take me down. Well, I think we ought to praise him a little bit right now. I wish the devil would write a book. I'd put it on my shoulder. I'd go near unto him. I'd recount my steps. I would remind him of where I went and what I did when you tried to pull me down. Oh, hallelujah. I feel like God wants to remind somebody of the blessings he's put in your life. I feel Holy Ghost in here. I feel a Holy Ghost right now. Somebody's making a choice. You came here beaten. You came here bloody. You came here barely making it. You were called matos. You couldn't even hardly breathe. But God is saying, look at the devil and tell him if that's the best you got, I got heaven made in the shade. Oh, hallelujah. 
tell the devil, I want you to go write a book, devil. I want you to write this down. I want to remind you that when you tried to get me to quit and when you told me nobody loved me and it looked like the whole church was turning against me, write it down, devil. What did I do? I went on back to church anyway and I shouted across the front of the church. I wish the devil would write a book. I'd put it on my shoulder. I'd get up in his face and say, read this, big boy. You're trying to tell me I'm a failure, but I'm still in church. I'm still here today. I'm still singing. I'm still worshiping. I'm still running. I wish the devil would write a book. Just soft right now, real soft. Let me tell you one lesson out of the book of Job. You ready? Earliest wisdom known to mankind. One lesson is, you don't need a change of venue. You might need a change of friends. Job didn't need a change of venue. He just needed some friend change. I wish the devil would write a book. I don't, I, you know, I don't want to say anything wrong here. And I, if you've heard me preach much at all, you know, I'm not a, I don't deal with my personal stuff. But there was a day, let me at least say this. There was a day 22 years ago when, boy, it was a bad day. And I got a phone call. Boy, I thought, I can't go on. I can't. This is it. And I laid on the floor and I cried and prayed for several hours. I was preaching for a man. He was so tender and kind to me. He came in the room and wrapped his arms around me. He said, we can't go to church tonight. It was Easter Sunday. He said, you're in no shape to preach tonight. And I remember something came over me. I had been on the floor down on my hands and knees. And, and I couldn't hardly get up. And my eyes were puffy and my, my, I was just a mess and I had gotten up to my knees and, and I remember something came over me and that's where this little phrase came into my mind I said devil if this is the best you got I got heaven made in the shade I made up my mind I would never tell him he was getting to me I would never make statements like I can't take it anymore I would never use words like failure and quit and not go on made up my mind I would grin with blood running out of my mouth with two black eyes weaving on my feet I would say devil if that's the best you got I got heaven made in the shade because I have an advocate I have an advocate you got an adversary but you got an advocate Just a break. Come here. Come stand here, baby. Brother Hoffer, can you can you make it up here? I know he's doing Holy Ghost Radio, but we all have our heroes. And I, I ask permission because I don't want to embarrass Brianna. Bree's one of my heroes. Several years ago I asked Brother Hoffer. I said, Brother Hoffer, is it okay with you if I pray for Bree? Every day. And he said, yeah, she's, I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying to make a point here, Brie. You are number one on my prayer list. And you have been for several years. Have I ever seen you in the last four or five years that my words weren't, how is your daughter? Come stand by your daughter. You say, why, Brother Bo? Let me tell you about this young lady right here. Forgive me, I, I ask permission. This young lady has been through more stuff than any of you will go through in ten lifetimes. First year in the hospital, she was there all year except one weekend a month. The second year in the hospital, five months out of the year. Third with a transplant. Third year brain surgery in the hospital about three months. Three brain surgeries in two and a half weeks. The next seven years, six months in the hospital, hip surgeries, cancers, gallbladder surgery, thyroid cancer, and she's still going through stuff today. I don't know how much. Listen to what her pastor's wife 
wife says. I said, how many times has Bree been in the hospital? She said, countless. Brain surgeries, hip replacements, stem cell harvesting and replacement. All those hospital visits. Not even one part of the initial beginning of the journey. Diagnosis, radiation, chemo. When she was first diagnosed, they had to do a bone marrow test where they scraped the inside of your bone because of the complication of the tumor that was strangling her breathing cord. They could not give her anesthesia. They took her mom out of the building so that she could not hear the screams and the, and the carrying on. She said, I stayed. They encouraged Bree as they did on the procedure to scream or whatever she needed to because of the pain. After that procedure was over, laying on the bed, she was so weak from enduring the pain. You know what this young girl right here did? She began to sing, praise is what I do. When I want to be close to you. You want to know why she's a hero to me? Because whether she said the words or not, she did it. She said, devil, if that's as hard as you hit. I looked down last night. I was on the front row. She walked up over there. She was shouting and praising the Lord and magnifying God. I wish you'd write that down, devil. I wish you would write a book that Bree Huffer kept on serving God. She... And I know every one of you have your story. I know. Brother Holmes, can I use you for just a moment? Come stand with me, Elder, for just a moment. This man was kind enough to, to let me preach a revival there years ago. So nice to me. And I was preaching there, and we got word that back then, the president's name was Clinton. He lived in Arkansas. And we got word that he's going to come to Little Rock. And I was excited to get to see a presidential motorcade. And I was at the big, nice church, and... Back there, this is the other building, not the one you're in now, but you know the first one. Had the bush out front, carved FPC. And I went out there and stood in, the, like a redneck I am. I went out and stood in the flower bed. <laughs> I did. And they blocked off Interstate 40. I don't know if you remember this or not. They blocked it off. And pretty soon here come a presidential motorcade coming down. And I stand up there in front of that beautiful church in that flower bed, right by FPC. And when it got down close, I waved like that. Mr. Clinton waved back. But I don't ever pass that building. And it's beautiful. It's a tribute to the glory of God. If you're going east, it's on the left side. If you're coming west, it's... Let me tell you what I see every time I think of it, Elder. I think about that old Buckeye building. When, you, when it burned to the ground. And Joel Holmes could have threw in the towel. And his daddy could have thrown in the towel because their church burned down. But you know what Joel Holmes and, and A.L. Holmes did? They said, devil, if that's as hard as you can hit, I got heaven made in the sea. If that's all you got. And today there's a beautiful building on Interstate 40 because somebody said, if that's all you got, I got this. Somebody needs to get a revelation in summit 2018. Devil, if that's all you got, I got this. Let me make one suggestion. One suggestion. Go home. Go to Lowe's or Home Depot. I went to Lowe's yesterday, bought this rock. $3.68. If you can't afford it, I'll buy you rock. And right on that rock, Summit 2018. And you put it somewhere where you'll see it. And get you one of those. I got two extras because they sold three in a pack and I didn't need all three. First two that want them can have them. But I wrote on this rock, devil, if that's as hard as you can hit. <laughs> I got heaven made in the shape. If taking my wife is your hardest hit, I got this. If burning the church down is your hardest hit, I got this. If medical things are your, I got this because I have an advocate. I've got an adversary, but I've got an advocate. Write it down, devil. Put it in your book. I wish the devil would write a book. Why don't you lift your hands and thank God?